you know, I would encourage you, please continue to be praying for our church. We have our persistent prayers that we've been giving you each week. Keep in mind, unity, caring be our focus. Gratitude will be our goal through this. Protection um, will be our plea. Perseverance will be our cry. Scripture will be our refuge. Revival will be our hope. And prayer will be our weapon. And on each one of those, we said, would you make it my too? Make that my goal too, so that when you look in the mirror, you say, if everybody in the church behaved like me, it would be a church that looked like that. And uh, those have been our persistent prayers. Got a, just a neat thing I want to celebrate, make sure that everybody hears this online or in the tent. Revivals has just been doing an incredible job. We've had our kids festival, our teen night was really cool, and, and even now um, our music arts team, and they had, the numbers were different. It, there was mitigation to all of it, but at the same time, trudging through that and getting to minister to the kids has been great, and Kenny, that was an awesome job this morning starting us out. We're so pleased about that, but just wanna quick make a mention of this. If you didn't hear about that, summer 2020's been interesting, and, and one of the things we've tried to do and keep a big rock is loving our community through this. Revivals is doing a shoe drive. They got this week left, okay? And with their shoe drive, they're asking you to bring a new pair of shoes, any size, okay, to Revivals. But they are also open to gently used. Now, I say gently used. I think there's going to be like a clearance rack, okay? Um, but you could bring up some of those too, but they're looking for new shoes. They have quite a few already piled up as they've been coming in. And what they're going to do for families in need, um, anybody can come. They'll set up an appointment. They'll come up to Revivals revivals in our community, and they'll get a pair of shoes for whether their school's reopening or this fall or whatever, and uh, somebody might need them. And so it's just another neat thing Revivals is doing. I wanted to make a mention it from the stage. Um, it's been great to see Revivals just being throughout the community, pop up ice creams from time to time, and that's an opportunity for you to bless them. Okay, each week during this series, I've tried to start out with a little bit of a debate. Okay, and um, what debate would be best for today? Well, I thought it might be raining. It could be a little chilly. So I, I brought up a coffee debate here. Let me, let me, let me. Now, I know I'm only speaking to some of the audience. Like, like people who don't drink coffee want to make sure you know they don't drink coffee. So, so I just, I'm just talking to the coffee audience for a second. And, and I started thinking, I mean, if I had a choice, where would I go get a cup of coffee? And so um, let, let me pull out some of these cups. And, and when you go, I got to go get a cup of coffee. Are you a gas station person? Whoa. Are you a sheets person? Does anybody know what that is? Sheets? <laughs> Yeah, you know what it is? Okay, you're like, sheets, of course I know what sheets is. Are, are you more of like a coffee snob, you know? Like, oh, I'm not drinking that garbage. I want my coffee $7, okay, you know? Um, it's a joke. I like Starbucks. Um, maybe you're like, I, I don't need all that pizzazz. Um, I'll, just, I'll just roll in. I'll just roll into Wawa. Some of you are like, Chris, where'd you get all these coffee mugs? Okay, I am, I am definitely a coffee drinker, and so is our staff. We apologize publicly. Um, we, we, we like our coffee. Ask Judy if our staff likes coffee. Um, maybe you're more this. Maybe you're more this. And um, you're going to start to see that I've had an accident go on in this bag because I got coffee all this. Maybe you're more of this. I mean, how good does that look right now? Okay, and there's even one close. You know, are, are, these, are these in your top five? Some of you are like, I don't need all the frills. I'll just stop at McDonald's. But this is McCafe. That's not McDonald's. This is McCafe, okay? So you go into McDonald's and say, I'd like a coffee from McCafe. Okay, you gotta, you gotta stay with the branding here. Um, 
I look at these coffees and I think I, I would take a cup of coffee from any of those if you're a coffee drinker and some of you put so much creamer in it, it really doesn't even matter. <laughs> I mean, you don't even notice the difference, okay? You're like, I'm more of a creamer person and I add coffee, okay? And, and that's fine too. Or maybe you're an over sugar or, or whatever person. But, you know, when we bring up these arguments, they're arguments of preference. Um, and they're arguments to whether we like a certain place or not. And we can get so dogmatic and, and so strong in our opinions that the, we start to defend it. And we say things like, this is, the, this is the best one. No, this is the best one. Or you say, I know doctors who say it's not even healthy to be drinking coffee. Oh yeah, well I have an article from a doctor it actually wards off um, cardiac arrest. No, I have one that says it does. And, and we get in these arguments and we're living in a society right now that, that we are going through confirmation bias. And can I believe that? Or I could grab this and it goes with my opinion so I wanna use that. And when we go through these battles, there's this question of what is truth? And so I've been helping you all out and I've been just telling you what the truth is. And so the truth of this one is this, and that's why we go with it at church. I, I, I will go here. I like all that, but this is the right answer. No, no, that's not. If you're watching us in like Oklahoma, we have people watch this Alabama. You're like, what on earth is that? It's called Wawa. It's weird. And we go to it all the time. I invited a, a pastor friend out from the Michigan area. He goes, you people eat at gas stations? I said, oh, and like it, and like it. <laughs> we, we actually stop. I, get, he, I cannot believe that. I said, yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and you like this place called Wawa? I said, yeah, if society lasts another thousand years, they'll be like, oh, in the 90s, there came along this Wawa, and they worshiped Wawa, and they... <laughs> but you know what, on my... On my uh, on my desk, I can bring coffee cups to work and my wife will say, where's that coffee cup? And it's been at work for maybe months. And, and sometimes what you do is you open the top and you go, did I wash that one sitting on my desk at work? Cause it smells funny in here. And I, and I open it, and, you know, like there's like, there's, there's some green things. It, there's a yellow area. And it's, I mean, it stinks. I mean, but it's beautiful on the outside. All I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Isn't that great? Bless your heart, right? But inside, it's filthy. It's disgusting. I mean, this is a beautiful Christian saying on the outside. But inside, I'm telling you, and it's spilled on my bag and it's gross. It's gross. It's like, it's like even though the outside's great, the inside's garbage. And I would encourage none of you, none of you to drink from that. Let me, let me put my, my coffee cups back because especially if you're at home, you might be tempted to go drive out and get some right now if I keep those up. So, so I'll, I'll just put those to a side a second. But I, I'm gonna keep this one up here uh, for the sermon because I think it's gonna speak a little bit to what I wanna talk about this morning. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, saw the crowds, and he went up on the mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and what we've been doing with this saying is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, his first speech, if you will, or definitely first sermon, and Jesus gives out priorities, kingdom priorities, not the kingdom of man, but the kingdom of God. These are the characteristics of those that seek first the kingdom of God. 
And, and he gave out, in and, and, and way of review, but a quick one, blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble. Blessed are those who mourn, those who trust God during this. Blessed are the meek, those who demonstrate self-control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are obedient. And we've been using the illustration, when you put big rocks in a jar first, you can get so much more stuff in, but if you put the smaller rocks in first, you'll have trouble getting the big rocks in. And so when we say big rocks first, we say the most important priorities first. In a time of crisis, in a time when things are different, in a time when everything it seems has changed for you, it's important to have priorities that will guide you through the different storms. Otherwise, your circumstances, situations, orders will dictate your behavior more than the Lord. And he gave these out, and then he gave out merciful. Blessed are those who show compassion during this season. But today we come across, blessed are those who are pure in heart. And we're gonna see a priority on purity. It's Matthew 5, 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now I read that, and I immediately have two questions. What does it mean to be pure in heart, and how will you see God if you are? I mean, that was immediately coming to my question. So I started to ponder this and I began to study this even in my own notes. Before we jump into our parable today, let's process this for just a second. What does it mean to be pure? Blessed are those who are pure in heart. So uh, understand this, purity, go one slide, looks like this. Um, it means uh, in, in the Greek or catharsis or clean, unstained, blameless, okay? This cup may be clean on the outside, it's extremely stained on the inside, okay? Purity means it, it's unstained anywhere. And it can also mean, in its original root, it can mean um, to be go back, to, it means to be um, purified by fire or pruning, okay? I believe right now, although it looks like the church might be pushed back into a corner, I think in some ways we're getting pruned a little bit. I think some people are getting exposed through this a little bit about where their, their priorities truly lie. And, and I think also you're gonna see a massive revival of the church come out of this because you will find when Jesus kind of refines his kids, they get tougher, stronger, uh, more excited. Their faith grows. He doesn't beat them down. He grows them and molds them and shapes them into something that's even greater than it was before. Yes, it's the devil's goal to beat down, divide, shame, condemn, guilt, destroy lives. That's his goal. But Jesus takes even those times to purify. Many of you know this, that a forest fire actually can be, in the long run, a good thing. For it, it is a natural part of the growth process of a forest at times. And, and so this purity, I want us to just keep in mind, I don't want us to, I'll define pure heart. No, this purity speaks of a cleanliness, an unstaining, a blamelessness. And then he says heart, okay? Blessed are those who are pure in heart. It's cardia, a physical and spiritual heart. So I don't want you to just think, kids, this isn't just a boom, 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 okay? I, I used to think I gotta ask Jesus into my heart. And I was like, that's weird, like, shouldn't he want to be in my arm? You know, can I ask Jesus into my arm? 
you know? I wanna ask Jesus into my mind, right? Wouldn't that make more sense? Jesus, come into my mind. So, so growing up hearing the Christianese, Jesus, come into my heart, I started realizing there's a, a, a physical aspect to our heart. It's our lifeblood, but there's a spiritual aspect, obviously, too. This is kind of the, the bedrock of our thoughts, our desires, our character. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are unstained in their devotion to me without hypocrisy. And so Jesus isn't just talking about your actions. He's talking about your thought life. He's talking about what you would want to do if you were allowed to do it. He's talking about your fantasies. He's talking about the things that you desire that you wouldn't really want the person next to you to know. He says, I wanna talk about that person. It's interesting, David calls this place the secret heart. And I've always loved that term. Uh, let, me, let me show you the verse. David says, behold, he's talking of God. He says, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. In a group this size and online, there are people watching and listening and you have secrets and you would rather not, Pastor Chris, find out and put it on a PowerPoint on Sunday morning, okay? We have secrets. We have things we'd like people not to know about us. In fact, there's things that we know about our inner man that if the person next to us knew it, they probably wouldn't wanna sit next to us. And, and the devil goes after that inner man and he beats the snot out of them to shame you into a defeated life. But also what resides in you, child of God, is the Holy Spirit. And so we wanna let him talk. And so times in this message today where you feel condemnation knocking on your door going, shame on you. I want you to hear the Holy Spirit go, come on, let's do better. Come on, let's investigate. Come on, let's strengthen. I want you to hear that Holy Spirit because it's gonna be very easy, especially if any of you grew up in legalism, okay? To hear, you're terrible. What's wrong with you? If anybody knew who you were, uh, instead, I want you to hear, okay, all right, that's an area I gotta work on. That's that secret heart. You see, Jesus wasn't so concerned about outward actions as much as what was going on inside. Jesus wouldn't be contempt with a world that no one ever committed adultery. He wouldn't be content with that. He wants a world that no one even thinks about committing adultery. And he said, if anybody even lusts after someone else, they've committed adultery in the inner man. And so Jesus isn't concerned just about actions. He wants to talk to that secret heart today. Um, can I call it, I'd like to talk to the real you this morning. Not the person sitting here. Not the person that goes to work. Not the person at home right now. I just wanna to talk to the real person. Oh, you know who he is. You know who she is. You talk to her all the time. I wanna to talk to you. The real you. And I wanna let Jesus Speak to that person and say, blessed are the pure, pure inner people, for they'll see God. Now that gets me all excited, that I, I, I'll see God. I thought no one can see God. The Bible says no one can see God. No one can look on God. If they look on God, they'll die. So what does he mean by see God? You know, it's interesting. I do believe in a sense that the pure in heart will see God eternally, for it's God who makes the heart pure 
You can try all you want today, you can't do it. That's why David said, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me because I'm not capable of doing this. This is the work of innocence has to purify my heart for without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. So innocent blood must be shed for me to have a pure heart and be given to me that at salvation. So I know this is the work of Jesus and because I'm a child of God, I am pure. I've been given Jesus' righteousness and I, one day I will see him. But is there an aspect of temporal to this? I mean, is it possible that Jesus is also inspiring me that the more I seek to live a pure life before him, the more he'll show up in that life? Well, I'm told in Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro seeking to show himself strong to those hearts who are loyal to him. God sees that heart, that inner man, that inner woman, that inner boy, that inner girl, and he sees a heart that's dedicated to him and he likes to show up for that kind of person, he tells us. And so I've just been inspired to really get excited today to encourage you to not think about the person you pretend to be. I want you to talk to the person you are. And who knows, maybe you'll see God. If you're an unbeliever and somebody made you watch today or just listening on a podcast because somebody sent this to you, I want you to know something that children of God kind of experience, okay? I'm gonna share this and children of God be like, yeah, we do kind of feel that, right? Um, here, here's some things in how we see God. We see God in creation, okay? Um, it's a famous Billy Graham who said to somebody who said, how can you see an invisible God? And he said, well, you can't see the wind, right? And they were like, well, I can see the wind. Look, I mean, it's blowing these, these tarps right here. No, no, you see the effects of the wind. The wind blew the tarps, so you see the effects. You didn't see the wind, you saw the effects. That's what children of God do. They see the effects of God in their life. They see it in creation, okay? They see it in his presence in difficult times. Even there, you're with me, God, the psalmist cried out. We feel a strength from God even in difficult times. And that's why you read many scripture passages of children of God going, I went through something and I felt his presence with me. That's what believers are talking about. Jesus promises that. We see him in scripture. Children of God learn about Jesus in scripture. Uh, if you were trying to get to know your girlfriend better and you barely knew her and she wrote 10 characteristics of me and you read them, you go, oh, I got to know her better. Well, God gave us his Bible. He, we've been given the word of God. He said, here, read this. You'll get to know me better. And so we see God in scripture. We see God in providence. You'll hear Christians say things like, oh my word, do you see how God worked that out for my good? And so believers see God in his plan for us. We feel his comfort. Often he sends other Christians to us in our times of tragedy and need, and he loves us through them. And so we experience his comfort, not only from reading, but from him sending people. We see God in Christ. When we study the gospel, believers see God in Christ. He's the visible manifestation of God. And so we get an idea of what God's like when we read the parables because Jesus manifested or showed himself, kids. That's what that word means. We got to see God in action on earth, okay? And of course, we see God in believers in their love, okay? You will know they're my kids by their love. And so we see God in a lot of different things that doesn't make sense to somebody who doesn't know Jesus as their savior, but for those who do, they go, yeah, that's how we see God. We might not see him visibly, but we see the effects of him just like the wind blowing the tarp on the side of the tent. And so 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they're gonna see God, not only eternally, but also temporally in their time here on earth. And so let that inspire us as we move into our parable today that we're gonna cast alongside this truth. That's what the word parable means, to cast alongside a truth. And the parable today is one you might not be familiar with. It's called the heart of man. Jesus talks about the heart of man. He talks about in Matthew 15, 10 through 20, but I'm actually gonna show you, you'll see our text will be Mark 7, because I really appreciate the way the gospel of Mark and the way Mark himself handles this text. Mark's kind of known for explaining Jesus a little bit. Matthew just assumes you're all smart, okay? Uh, Mark's kind of like, hey, here's what it means, okay? Many believe Mark was a little bit younger, okay? And so Mark was always going, this is what Jesus did, and he would add a lot of parenthetical phrases, or he'd go, and, and this is what it means. And I've always appreciated that about Mark and liked the gospel of Mark for that. So you're gonna see that in the text today when we go through the heart of man and we read Mark's version, but it's also found in Matthew. Would you pray with me? We're gonna dig in. We're gonna find out what Jesus wants from our inner man. And then we're gonna apply it before we close. Heavenly Father, use this parable today to inspire us to live for you, not in just the outward, not just the outside, but in the inside. May we live that way. And we'll pray that this encourages us in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there's this big debate going on as we jump into our text. The Pharisees come onto the scene and, and the debate centers around what they call ceremonial purity. Now, when a Pharisee talks purity, he's not talking about the inside of the cup. A Pharisee just wants the outside to look real good, okay? The Pharisee wants, all I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Mmm, that's a godly person drinking that coffee cup, okay? And they don't really need to address the, the filth inside, okay? So the ceremonial purity was the Pharisees. Now, remember, the Pharisees came from good intent. They put together the Pharisees to prevent Israel from sinning against the Mosaic law, okay? So these Pharisees came in and said, we're gonna keep people of Israel from sinning against the Mosaic law and going back into captivity. And so our job is to prevent them from disobeying the law, okay? Especially the law of Moses. Now within the law of Moses, we're not just the 10 commands. If you go through the law, you'll see 613 commands on how the Israelites were supposed to live. Well, the Pharisees had to be scholars in those and they taught the people, you cannot disobey these laws. But unfortunately, they went beyond that and they created something that they called the traditions or the orals of man. And they made laws that were outside even those laws. Some say they built a fence around the law, okay? So they said, here, don't do this and then you'll never break that. So the intention might've been good, but then they used it against people. And one specific one was how they ate food, okay? And so here they come, they spot the disciples, and here's the story of the heart of man. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. Big word, young people, unclean. Every time I say defiled, just say unclean. I know none of you are like, um, teacher, I, I can't eat lunch. My hands are defiled. You can do that. It would it'd be a very interesting response. But the idea is their hands aren't clean. But this doesn't mean they aren't soaped up. It's they're not ceremonial clean. I'll describe it in a minute. That is, they're unwashed, they said. 
They come in and, and they spot the disciples and they're eating food and the Pharisees go, hey, their hands are unwashed. Their hands are defiled. That food they're eating because they didn't clean their hands, it's gonna go into their bodies and it's gonna defile them and make them unclean. And Mark goes, I'll give you the parentheses. For, for, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Mark's letting you know. They hold to the traditions of the elders and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. I mean, they could come across something that would make them dirty. And then Mark says, guess what? There are also many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels, and I love this, and even dining couches. I mean, they got a lot of laws. And you Jews would know this as the midrash or the tradition of elders that they put together. For example, the Mosaic law would say, keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees went and added 39 tradition of the elders laws to that. One of them being how many steps you're allowed to take on the Sabbath day. If you go over that amount of steps, you have failed the law. And so what they do is they take the law, and that was correct, keep the Sabbath, but then they add all these laws of how you're to do it and then hold the people against it. And one of the specific ones was eating with defiled hands. And so the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus. They didn't go to the disciples. They went right past them. Why do your disciples not walk, that means practice, according to the traditions of elders? Why do they do that, but then they eat with defiled hands? Are they saying just wash their hands? No, they're saying being ceremonial pure. Now, I got in here a cup of water. Now, I want you to understand something. These Pharisees, when they talk about ceremonial pure, they would wash their hands. Now, I'm not, I'm not a scholar in this area, so please don't judge me. I'll do my best to illustrate. But they would have these pots. They didn't have these little cups, but they'd have these pots. And they would often go to their non-dominant hand first, so it looked like a ceremonial practice, okay? It was a, it was a higher level of piety. And, and so my dominant hand is right. And so they probably start with their left, they, and they go over here, and then they go over here, they go over here many, three times, three times, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and they wash their hands and they do all these practices. So whether the disciples washed their hands or not, they were concerned whether they washed them properly according to the traditions of men. That's not in the Mosaic law. That's in their law. Now, did they create that law so that they would not disobey and eat from dietary food that was outlawed? yes. But in doing so, they've created a law that they're holding people to. So Jesus listens to these Pharisees judging his disciples, and he gets some righteous anger. Look how he responds. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He just calls them hypocrites right to their face. And, and I want you to understand something about hypocrites. In that time period, is defined more as an actor in a play, more than the moral aspects we bring to that now. He said, you play a part. You judge my disciples for not washing their hands ceremonially, but you're hypocrites. And Isaiah called you out for this. You honor me with your lips. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. But your heart, you don't worship me at all. I know the real you, Jesus says. You're not fooling me, even a little bit. Folks, 
Jesus continues and says, in vain do you worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. I like this definition. Legalism, okay, creating these man-made laws. Legalism involves making laws that God has not made and treating them as equally authoritative as God's word. Have you ever seen this? Some of you grew up in a church where clothing was a major issue, right? I grew up in a church where that building up there was like a pavilion, and if the pastor wore jeans, it was news that week. Oh, <laughs> pastor wore jeans, okay? I mean, clothing was a big deal, okay? Some of you still got wounds, okay? Um, I was told I didn't have a Christian haircut. How do I look now? You know, okay? All right, I would love to have that non-Christian haircut still, okay? But, but, but the outward appearance, outward behavior was a big deal, especially the church in the 70s. We know that. Um, you know, like people have created laws around it. I, I know one college, their students still can't wear shorts in the cafeteria because someone gave money for the cafeteria and they said, if the student body ever wears shorts in here, it has to be closed down and put that in the commandment. And, and they're like, how long does he have to be dead for us to go around this rule, okay? Crazy stuff. I mean, activity on Sundays, people have laws. Um, I read a church minutes where they said, if somebody shows something on stage, if it moves, it's sin. So any video is sinning. If it's a still picture, you're good. In the minutes, okay? And and like traditions of men. Um, and, And we create these. In fact, I don't know if you all know this, but there was a huge fight a uh, big argument in our church history over whether that building down there I'm pointing at our old C building should get air conditioning. Like, it, real Christians don't need air conditioning. I, I remember being, like, hearing my dad come home from the meetings, and like, I don't know if we're gonna get air conditioning. People are like, they need to suck it up, those buttercups, you know? They gotta, you know? But ladies' dresses were sticking to the pews. They were sticking. Oh, well, if Christians, it's only an hour and a half. They should be sweating. The, and and I'm, I'm asking, you laugh now. You laugh now. But these things were just fierce things. Um, Human rules that you make up and you use them to condemn or shame others, you gotta watch out for that. You gotta watch out for that. That's what these did. And so Jesus said to them, you know what? There's one specific one that sticks in my crawl. Jesus goes right at it. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. He says, for Moses said, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles, that means to kind of scorn them or dismiss them in time of need. Father and mother, they must surely die. That's what the law says. But you know what you guys are going around saying? You guys go around and say this. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, okay? He, he says this, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Now, many people would read that and check out. I'm the type to go, what does Corbin mean? What is he talking? Jesus, where are you going with this? Here's what Jesus is saying. You've got this thing, Corbin. It's a transliteration of the Greek word that kind of means dedicated to God, what you're doing is you would, your parents maybe need uh, something to drink and you go, I'm sorry, I can't give to you. This has been Corbin. This is dedicated to God. And in doing so, you neglect your parents' need for the sake of something you've dedicated to God. One preacher said, it's kind of like saying, I can't help you, mom. We really got to tithe to church. I know you're going to lose your house. And, and making something that the law says to do forfeit your ability to follow it accurately. You make a law that disables men from even keeping the law. 
And if you wanna get Jesus angry, if you really wanna tick Jesus off, here's how you do it. You come with a dirty cup to church and judge other people. That just gets him going. In fact, I love this definition of hypocrisy, and this is the kind that gets Jesus going, okay? It's this. Hypocrisy is the audacity to preach integrity from a den of corruption. This is a person who's walking around with a filthy thought life, a horrifying um, habit of worrying, a, a sick, disturbing desire to slander and gossip about others, and go and judge other people for their behavior. Jesus is like, what? These Pharisees, they're robbing from the elderly. They're condemning my disciples. And they gotta, they're gonna come here and preach to me about righteousness? I know the real you. Every time you're tempted to point somebody else out, I want you to hear Jesus say, you know I know the real you. No, we're not talking about me. We're talking about them. Because legalism loves to compare. Loves, I'm better than them. Look, look, look. And Jesus said, I know the real you. Hypocrisy is the audacity to preach integrity from a den of corruption. It's the guy who judges people for wearing masks and then looks at porn all night. It's the, it's the mom who judges social distancing that she sees online and then gossips and slanders all afternoon. It, it, it's the teens who call their parents hypocrites and are lying and deceiving behind their back on their cell phones that their parents probably paid for. It's that lady who calls men pigs and then opens up her romance novels and fantasizes her night away. I mean, it's like, what are we doing? You're not faking Jesus. He knows the real you. So why on earth are you preaching from this position of integrity when God knows there's a den of corruption inside? Child of God, let us heed this and hear this. And so Jesus goes, hey, everybody, come here, come here, come here. This isn't just for those who have ears to hear. He goes, hear me, all of you and understand. He's all beside himself. He's got to deal with this. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. The disciples, some of them probably have half their food in their mouth. Huh? There's nothing you eat that will defile you by going in. But the things that come out of the person is what de defied him. There are some Pharisees, they heard you say that, went, oh, oh, oh. You gotta understand, an act of worship was to not eat the dietary foods of the law. It's almost like Jesus, and this is not a great comparison, but it's almost like Jesus said, hey, no more communion. You don't need to take communion. Oh, oh what? Whoa, whoa, you, no. Oh, this man is a fool. And that's why the Pharisees thought Jesus was a fool. He goes, look, that's not it. And, and when he entered the house and left the people, he just says this line. Matthew says the Pharisees were so offended when they heard that. He goes in the house, his disciples ask him about the parable. And he said to them, you're not without understanding. You guys didn't get what I just said. It's not about what goes in. It's about what's inside. I don't care about the outside of the cup. I care about the inside of the cup. That's what I'm saying to you guys. Do you not see, he says, that whatever goes into a person from the outside, that can't make him unclean since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and then is expelled in the toilet, young people. <laughs> Jesus is like, common sense. You eat something, you get rid of something. I had a kid eat a Lego one time. They said, don't worry. Parent told me, didn't happen to my family. Parents said, they ate a Lego. Don't worry, we'll find it. 
don't eat Legos. All right, let's wrap this story up. Do you not see whatever goes into a person, the outside person, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach is expelled? And then Mark helps you out in case you're not following. Thus he declared all foods clean. <gasps> and then he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. That's what's most important. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And I know Jesus a little bit from reading the gospels. And I just wonder, uh, my heart patters when I think of this. Did Jesus look at some of them while he said these? For out of the heart comes, and if I point to you, this isn't Jesus pointing to you, all right? I'm just gonna make an illustration. Oh my gosh, okay. For out of the heart comes sexual immorality comes theft, and that guy's like, oh, stole last night, okay? Comes murder, comes adultery, it comes coveting, comes wickedness. I mean, I just wonder, like, is he just exposing them? I know everything you're thinking. All of these things, he says, come from within, and that is what defiles the person, not their hands. I appreciate you guys following the law. Not, not the outside of the cup. I appreciate the whole lot of Jesus. It's cute. But what's inside is what I care about. In Matthew, Jesus yells, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You're blind. First clean the inside of the cup. Start inside. And then the outside can also be clean. Here's our true north living principle. Godly priorities always start when purity resides in our secret heart. You can't go, all right, Chris, I'm not gonna waste this trial, this crisis. I'm gonna come out a different person in 2021 or 2027, whenever, depending on my discouragement level of that day. I'm gonna come out better. You can't go, all right, I'm gonna be more humble now. Okay, I'm gonna be the most humble person on the earth. I'm gonna, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm, I'm going to be more godly. Have you ever tried this? Good luck with this. You see, this is a prayer of submission, not a prayer of go do. Jesus says, I already know you. If you really wanna make a change, you gotta start inside the cup. Godly priorities always start when purity resides in our secret heart. How do I know if I want my secret heart to change and be pure? Here's your question, here's your question. Take this question with you at home, write it down. Here's your question. Do I care more about the person people see or the person God sees? Are you more worked up with how the other people at work are gonna see you? Are you more worked up at how the church is gonna see you, pastor? Are you more worked up how your parents are gonna see you, child? Are you more worked up about the opinions of the other moms and how they're gonna school versus the way you're gonna school? Are you more worked up about their opinion of you or his? This is how you know if you really want that inner person to be examined. In those private moments, teenage guy, it really don't matter if dad didn't see it. If mom didn't see it, Jesus, child of God, he is sitting right next to you. Do you want him to see you do it? This is the moments. Young ladies, 
When you're tempted to do something you know is wrong, it's not about whether you get caught. We live in a society, no harm, no foul, just as long as I didn't get caught. There's no not getting caught with Jesus. Is it amazing how much grace he shows us? He even lets us go around and judge other people like we're the spiritual ones. I mean, I, sometimes I wonder like, oh, bless your heart. You think you're awesome, Chris. There's a lot of dirt you gotta work out. So I don't wanna leave this message not changed. Mirror principle. Look in the mirror, where inside of you, Chris, you gotta clean up. What, what is that area you gotta take to God? Because scripture says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. So I wrote a list, there were 13, Jesus said, and I put them down in my journal like a list. Go to the next slide, you'll see them. Jesus wrote out these things, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, and I know this is just as much my thought life, because all my thoughts are like spoken words to God, okay? And so I said, where do I gotta get more pure? So what I did in my journal, you do whatever you wanna do, but how I thought I'm gonna try to attack this because it feels overwhelming, okay? I, I started doing something visual. I'm a visual learner. And so I know Jesus is talking about cups. So I got cups, all right? And, and I started thinking this way. I got coffee spilled all in that bag. It's like all over it. All right, clean the outside too, Chris. You're a mess. Um, Okay, Lord, um, David said, created me a clean heart. He said, search me. You ever do a search engine on your computer? Search me, see if there's any malware, okay? Um, so I go, search my eyes, Lord. You see, sometimes we're really grace-filled with ourselves. Like, I'm really righteous in this area, and I heard a pastor say, if all God ever, ever looked at your spiritual life and said, my, your wife is my daughter, and how you treated her, Chris, is how I'm gonna judge you on, how would you do? Now I thought, no, can we talk about my pastoral life? No, I just wanna talk about you and your responsibility to your wife as a godly man. We're just gonna talk about that. And so I've learned that, that Jesus doesn't like, always just let me just spread out the wealth like, cause I'm real strong in one area. So, so let me ask you about your eyes. How much dirt gotta clean up? How about your desires? That's what I put on my list. Search my desires, God. I want you to see if there's any agendas in this secret heart. Lord, search my attitudes right now because God, I can put on a smile on Sunday morning and harbor a pretty bad attitude about something that's happened. Anybody fall into that trap? Lord, search my words. Search my words, okay? Like, I've gotten sloppy with my words, Lord. Maybe you know that. Maybe young person, you're like, I know how to talk like a Christian on Sunday and I know how to, talk, I know how to text too with the friends I'm with, okay? So search my words, Lord. See if there's any dirt in there. How about your memory? You say, what? Yeah, I said, Lord, search my memory. See if I'm harboring resentment against anybody. Well, that'll create a root of bitterness in you. Okay, so Lord, you go ahead. You go, down, go through my memory and you show me if there's any wicked way in my memory that I gotta I got let go of that past. How long are you gonna talk about it, Chris? Okay, that, that's kind of thing. How about your relationships? You got some relationships, you know the Lord knows that relationship and that is not one. How about in your finances? Lord, go ahead and search my finances. See if there be any wicked way in me. How about your pursuits? Lord, search my pursuits. See if there be any wicked way in me. It was February. I got up and gave a Renew vision presentation and I put up this slide. I said, God loves rewords. He does. He loves rewords. He still loves rewords. 
And what we did is we broke down Psalm 51. It's a prayer of renewal. And so if anybody in here is tempted today to see this and say, I'm gonna go do better, I want you to stop. Stop it. Don't go try harder today. Please don't walk out of this tent and go try hard, okay? I want you to ask God to do his work. It's the Holy Spirit who can cleanse the heart and you ask him. For David, when he committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, okay? When he sinned, it was ever before his face and he prayed these re-words. I'm gonna put it up on my social media post at Pastor Chris Heller. We'll put it up on the website. If you wanna do business with God and you need a template prayer, David gave it to you, not Chris, David. Rescue me, Lord, have mercy on me. I found some wickedness in me. Remove, blot out my transgression, remove it. Forgive me of it. Release, because my sin is ever before me. Chris, when you're talking, I know what secret sin I've been, I see it, okay? Recognize, against you only I have sinned, Lord, not against other people. Refine me, teach me wisdom in the secret heart, Lord. Refine me, prune me, sharpen me, strengthen me. He said, refresh me, Lord. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Refresh me, God. Restore me, the joy of, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I've grown so tired in my salvation and my walk with God. Renew a right spirit within me. Reset me. I will teach transgressors your ways. Revive me. Open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise. If you actually want God to do something about that inside of the cup, you go ahead and take Psalm 51. You write down any area you want him to search and you ask him to do his work. Child of God, he's been wanting to clean that cup up for a long time. And glory to God, he loves you no differently, even though that cup's dirty. For there's nothing you could do to ever make him love you less. And knowing that he knows what's in there and dearly loves you is the power of grace. He says, I know all that stuff, Chris, and I can't love you anymore. Because when I look at you, I see you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So don't look at these things as shame. Look at these areas as ways to step it up and let the spirit cleanse your heart. Thank you, Lord, for the patience you have with us. Lord, may we seek to have pure hearts before you. And may we see you step up in amazing ways. I pray you're challenged today to take a look side the inner cup with Jesus. He'll walk in there with you and he'll say, let's clean this up. We got big things ahead. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the joy of our salvation. Thank you for knowing that even though we know there's some areas that definitely need to be cleaned up, we know that doesn't make you love us less as children of God. And we know that you've known for a while and you still love us just the same. And that incredible grace motivates us. It motivates us to want to live a pure life. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they're going to see God. In Jesus' name, amen.